In case you don't know, I attended Furman University and I graduated back in 1985 and I met my wife there, Nancy, which was easily the best part of attending Furman University. And some time ago, I ran across this old picture. Furman is in Greenville, South Carolina. They wanted to move the campus from downtown to um, out of town to spread out their campus. And there's a great picture of them uh, just laying out the streets in the first few buildings. And if you notice in the picture, there's these tiny little black dots. And those little black dots are trees that are lining what's called the Furman Mall, the two streets that run down the middle of the campus where all the buildings are off of. And I love that picture because every year I go back to Furman and I took these pictures, these new pictures, uh, now 67 years later. And look how beautiful these trees are. I mean, it's incredible. And it took a lot of vision for some group of people back in 1953 to, to plant these small saplings so that people in the future could really enjoy the shade and the beauty and the comfort of these trees. And these would be people they would never know. They just knew that there would be people who would come along who would really appreciate somebody starting something and knowing it's going to grow in a way that really is helpful and beautiful for many people to enjoy. Now, the one reason I love these pictures is because I went to Furman. But the other thing, these pictures really help me think about Christ Community Church and what we're trying to do here. One of the main things we're trying to do is, is to plant people in the Word of God and pray that as over the years, as we water them, they grow up to these mighty oaks. And of course, uh, we're not all going to be around to see all that growth, but we're trusting that after 20 years of being here, 18 exactly, uh, maybe 50 more years from now, when most of us aren't at Christ Community Church anymore, uh, there'll be a church here in Wilmington. There'll be people in a church that'll be like these mighty oaks that people will say, this is beautiful that this church is in Wilmington. This is beautiful the way they serve us and they help us and they help us know the Lord. And we're celebrating that on this Founders Day of 2020. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for um, your vision your faithfulness, your helping a group of people have courage to plant something that now we just begin to see is flourishing. Pray for your spirit to reside here, to always provide a people who are hungry for the word and leaders who are casting out the word to this hungry people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in 1990, I bought my very first house. And I thought, well, you know, I'm kind of close on one side to these neighbors. I'm just going to put up a fence. And I'm not going to circle my whole yard. I'm not going to make a corner. I'm not going to make a gate. All I'm going to do is just put up one straight line down one side of my yard. And I thought, well, how hard can this be? So I go to Lowe's Hardware. And I find out even easier, they have eight-foot panels that are already pre-constructed. So I thought, this is going to be simple. So I get some posts, I get eight panels, and I thought, this is going to be such a simple project. And so I drop a plumb line to make sure my fence is going to be straight. I put in the post, and I put them in concrete, I wait a day, and then I go out the next day and put up my very first panel. I step back and I see, oh, what a thing of beauty, how easy that was. 
But I did notice one thing that it was a quarter of an inch off the ground where I thought it would be at the end. And I thought, quarter of an inch, who's going to know? I can't even see that unless I measure it. So I get the next panel up and I put it up and I notice, well, I've got to start a quarter of an inch off now on the second panel, which makes the end of the panel three inches off the ground. <laughs> well, I did some quick calculations and I figured out that by the time I put the eighth panel up, my, my fence was going to be 30 feet off the ground, which was not an effective fence. So what did I have to do? I had to go back and I had to get that foundation panel just right. It, co it couldn't be a quarter of an inch off because another panel was going to connect to it and it needed to be perfect. And so I tell that story every year as a way of saying, let's come back to the Word of God and what we really wanted to do on that first Founders Day to make sure that first panel was correct. Because many years from now, people are going to be connecting to this first foundational panel, and we want to make sure that they keep going uh, in the same direction. Now, that first Founders Day sermon, I gave three points. One, uh, three things that we needed for a good foundation. First, godly leadership, God's Word, and courage. Godly leadership, God's Word, and courage. And so I chose uh, the great leader, Joshua, this Old Testament five-star general who's the one who led the people into the Promised Land, these opening chapters, as a way of looking at these three things. First of all, let's look at God's chosen leadership. Uh, we know leadership is a critical, critical component of the Bible and how God uh, specifically calls people to be leaders at very critical moments. We know it actually starts back in Genesis, Adam and Eve, even though they were both given the, um, the responsibility to have dominion over the world, we know that Adam was the leader in his home. And one way that we know that is that in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, God comes back, as you remember, looking for Adam and Eve. And what's the very first thing that God says after the fall? Adam, where are you? He starts with his leader. He goes back. He says, I'm noticing there's a problem. And just like you would with any problem, you're going to go back to the leader and say, hey, why, why did you let this happen? And so Adam is the leader and he failed in his leadership. That was one of the, the main things that happened in the garden was a failure of leadership. And so now we look at Joshua and Joshua gets the same assignment. He's going to start a new garden. It's going to be called the promised land and he's going to have dominion over this. And we want to make sure, we want to look at Joshua and see how God helps him develop as a leader. You notice in chapter 4 verse 23 and 24, uh, God says this to Joshua, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did at the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that, so here's the reason God's leading people into the promised land, so that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So God's bringing people back into a new garden to make himself known all across the globe. Really the same kind of charge that was given to Adam and Eve, to, to fear the Lord, to make sure everybody knows he's mighty, that he's the one who's in charge. Now why is this reminder of godly leadership so important? Well, it's important for a number of reasons. 
But it's particularly important because, as they say, uh, the days may be long, but the years go by quickly. And so here we are in 2020, and certain days are long as the leader of Christ Community Church. Certain of these days in the coronavirus are long. But the years, man, they've gone by so quickly. Eighteen years now I've been the pastor of Christ Community Church. And when this happens, we always gather together as a family. And uh, Morgan and Zachary and Nancy and I all have memories that we share. Morgan and Zachary, they used to gather their toys and bring them to church every week so there would be something for kids to play with. Nancy actually started the nursery and then she handed the nursery off and she started the children's ministry and then she handed the children's ministry off and she started the youth ministry and then she handed the youth ministry off and started the college ministry. So you might thank Nancy for starting most of the ministries here at Christ Community Church. And of course everybody wants to remember my great singing that first Sunday where there was no piano, no accompaniment. I just stood up and started singing holy, holy, holy. And it's a true miracle that Christ Community Church survived that first Sunday. But anyway, it, that's been 18 years, and I hope there's going to be another 18. Who knows how God might work? But one day, I'm going to leave. It's going to be my last Sunday, and the leaders and the congregation are going to have to choose a new leader. And that leader is critically important to the growth and the vision of the church. And I want us to just notice two key characteristics of that leader as we look at Joshua. First of all, uh, the leader's primary focus is on God. You see in Joshua chapter 1, the Lord spoke to Joshua. The Lord spoke to Joshua. The, the leader's primary concern, not just the pastor, but the elders, the leaders of the church, their primary concern is to listen to God to understand what he's saying. We don't want leaders who are following the mood of the congregation. We don't want leaders who are following the mood of the world. We don't want leaders who are following their own mood. We want leaders who are following God's word. Now that's always a temptation to move away from that because the culture puts a lot of pressure on us. In a couple of different ways I see that. One, one great distraction is popularity to be popular, to take the, the next new wave of things that are happening just to try to, to somehow keep in step, not with the Spirit, but keep in step with the world. And I mention this every year. There was a reality television show that was trying to launch, and it was called Pulpit Masters. And here, here is a little tagline to get you interested in it. Ready for this? Could you be America's next inspired leader to make a difference in millions of American lives? Are you filled with fire and passion for God? We are looking for someone who can wow the pants off an audience. <laughs> Amazing. We, we're looking for some great wow the pants kind of person. Well, we, don't want you, we want you to keep your pants on here at Christ Community Church. We're not primarily trying to find somebody who can wow the pants off people. The other thing is that there's also a tendency to, to make the uh, church service all about the person in the pew rather than the person in the pulpit. It's all about the person in the pew. And I've been reading several blogs over the last couple of weeks about the concern pastors have on whether their congregation is going to come back to church. And here's one of the quotes that they said um, about that from a recent blog. Evangelical leaders have spent decades trying to make their services feel like visitors are sitting in their own living rooms. Now, that's exactly what everyone has, and will anyone come back? 
You see what's happened? The, the focus has shifted. It's shifted from the, the pulpit to the pew. The most important thing is that you feel comfortable. The most important thing is that nothing is disturbing to you. And now the concern is, and now that you're at home, would you even come back to church? And do you see how both of those miss the point? When we have a worship service, we are coming to worship somebody. And it's not the pastor, and it's not the people in the pew. We're all coming to a worship service to worship God. He's the, the main focus. And so the leader needs to make sure that is the main focus. So God speaks to Joshua, and then Joshua speaks to the people so that the people know what God has to say. And so God has spoken, and we need a leader who's going to come in and tell us what God is saying in His Word and then help us to know how to walk in that way. A second characteristic is the leader must be a servant. In chapter 1, Moses is referred to as a servant in the very first verse. And in that opening, those opening verses, the word servant is used three times. And now Joshua is transitioning into that world. That He's not just the leader like Moses, he's also the servant leader like Moses. In the New Testament, the word leader is used less than ten times. And the word servant is used more than a thousand times. So that gives you a sense of the priority for Jesus in leadership. That's not a surprise for, for most of us. He wants us to lead as servants because that's exactly what he came to be as a servant. He didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a statue in London to uh, the great evangelist um, John Wesley, very popular, very prominent person in Christian history. And John Wesley was five foot two, and it's estimated that he preached over 40,000 sermons. That's humbling uh, for me to th- even think about approaching a number like that. At 83, he got angry at his doctor because his doctor wouldn't allow him him to preach more than 14 times in one week. In his journal at 86, this is what he wrote, Laziness is slowly creeping in. (laughs) There's an increasing tendency to stay in bed after 5.30 in in the morning. So here he is, he's 86 years old, he's concerned that he's getting lazy, that he's starting to sleep in after 5.30. On on this statue in London, this is what it says. Reader, if you feel constrained to praise the instrument, don't. Give God the glory. See, Wesley was a servant. He was there to serve someone, and he hoped that how he was used as a tool didn't shine on him, but shined on the person who had him in his hands, and that was the Lord. No matter how powerful or dynamic a leader is, the church is built on Christ. It's not built on a person. It's not built on on the elders. It's not built on a vision. It's not built on a confession. It's built on Jesus. And the leader has to have that servant attitude to make sure everything is moving towards and showing Jesus in the greatest light. Second, Reminder that we want on this Founders Day is God's Word and the importance of God's Word. Not just God's leader, but God's Word. When, when you build a fence, the very first thing you do is you put down a plumb line. It's usually a long string of chalk. 
and you snap it so you know you have a nice straight line on your lawn or your concrete or whatever it is you're building. And every time you put in a piece of fence, in my case, you measure it against the plumb line to make sure it's straight. And the plumb line for us is the Bible. It's, it's what keeps us straight. We're measuring ourselves against the Bible. We're always pushing our opinions or our thoughts or our emotions against what the Bible has to say. And we're trusting the Bible, not our opinions, not our thoughts, and not our emotions. Because it's, it's the plumb line. It's the one thing that, that keeps us straight. Now, in this text, Joshua is given two illustrations of the importance of the Bible. One, he's given a verbal exhortation to to keep God's Word, and then he's given a visual illustration. So if you're uh, an auditory learner, then you get get just the the message, but if you're a visual learner, you get that message too. God wants to, to cement that in Joshua's mind. Joshua 1, 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do everything written in my word. Don't turn from the right or the left. The word of God shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. You hear that over and over repetition, the the importance of God's word. Joshua, you're going to enter into not just a land, you're entering into a culture. And that culture is like a fast-moving river. And if you're not careful, you'll you'll easily get swept away by this new culture. And so I want to make sure the culture in your heart is cultivated by the Word of God and not the world. Some of you know that as when you become a pilot, uh, there's two different ratings you get as a pilot. One is called a visual flight rating. And that means you can take a a plane up in the air when it's a nice uh, clear day. And you fly by using your eyes and your sensations to how close you are to the ground or how close you are to anything else in the air. And you just visually navigate the plane by what you see, what you feel. That's called a visual flight rating. But of course, a lot of times pilots need to fly when there's a lot of clouds or even storms. And in order to fly in those kinds of conditions, you have to have what's called an instrument flight rating. So you no longer depend on your eyes. You no no longer depend on your sensations of what's going on. You just totally look at the instruments on the panel. And whatever they say, you completely believe the instruments, not how you feel about it. Now, learning to rely on the instrument panel is actually a pretty big task. Uh, Many new pilots who have just been trained in visual and trying to adjust to what it feels like in the cloud, they come out of a cloud bank flying upside down. They have no idea that they're flying upside down. Or many have come out of a cloud bank flying into the ground itself. They don't actually know they're moving towards their own demise. And one pilot instructor said this, the toughest part of earning an instrument rating is learning to have unquestioning faith in the instruments. The toughest part is to not depend on your eyes, to not depend on your senses or your emotions, but to depend solely on the instruments. When your eyes say one thing and the instruments tell you another, you must trust the instruments or face disaster. Man, that is a perfect illustration for us. We, we are trusting this instrument. And we're going, to have, we're going to see things in the world. We're going to have certain emotions from ourselves or from the world. 
But we, we're going to have an unquestioning faith in the instrument of God's Word. We're going to fly our church. We're going to fly our lives by that instrument. And we need a leader who's going to come in and say, hey, it's about God's Word, and that's the way we're going to go because that's the way to avoid disaster, both here on earth and also in eternity. Proverbs fourteen twelve says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Same same picture. Oh, it feels right to, to follow this feeling or this emotion. But we're just not going to trust that. We're going to trust the Word of God. So he has a verbal exhortation. He also has this visual exhortation. You notice in Joshua chapter 3, 1 through 4, Joshua rose early in the morning. They, they set out towards uh, the promised land. They come to the Jordan. All the people are lodged there. They're getting ready to pass over. And it says this, and, God, and Joshua commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, of about 2,000 cubits, or it's about 1,000 yards. Joshua wants to make sure there's a good distance between God and His leadership and us. And one reason he wants us to do that is he says, you have not passed this way before. You don't know where you're going. So when you don't know where you're going, you're going to be trusting on God because He knows exactly where He's going. And so I thought about that. What a perfect time for us to remember that. Boy, we don't know where we're going in these times. I mean, none of us have ever been in our whole lifetime in a situation like this with the coronavirus. And so we really want to trust God's Word at this particular point. And I want to just offer a reminder that I said last week is that I think the main thing God wants from us in this time as we try to figure out what to do as we move forward is not to try to determine when we should meet, but he's looking at how we're going to treat each other in how we go about meeting. So the main thing God's looking for is not, oh, are you going to open up on the very first Sunday? I think the main thing he's looking for is how are you treating each other? Because you have three or four pe- three or four hundred people coming together who all have different opinions all have different nervousness levels or comfort levels. And I don't really think God cares so much about the date as He cares a lot about how we treat each other in that process. So we want to make sure God's Word is way out front and God's Word is clearly be a servant. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Don't look out for your own interests but the interests of others. Those are things that we can clearly see God has said And I want us to encourage us to all move in that direction as we have never been in this situation before. The second thing is, or the last point I want to make is that that all this takes courage. And that's probably one of the biggest takeaways for me, especially in this first chapter. Notice that three times God has to tell this five-star general. This is a man who has lived through 40 years with Moses in the desert and he's just about ready to go in the promised land. And God says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why would he have to say it three times to this great general? Well, first of all, they were going into the, the land of the Canaanites. And if you remember previously, they, they look like giants compared to the, 
little Israelites. And so there would be enemies. There would be a headwind, so to speak, that Joshua and the people would face. But I think the other thing, and actually the bigger part of this for Joshua as the leader, was not the, the problems he was going to have with the external people, but with the people he was actually leading. He had been in the desert for 40 years. He had watched the constant complaining from these people. He had heard them say, let's go back to Egypt. This is a group of people who would rather live safely in slavery than have the courage to change. There are actually a lot of people like that. I could find myself in that kind of situation. I'd rather live in this safe but slave environment rather than have the courage to change. And so the leader is going to have to have courage to say, we're all going to need to make this step forward, and it's going to, going to mean it's going to cost something. But it, it costs you to get out of your slavery and into freedom. That's the courage that Joshua needs to be reminded of. The church has always been under a, a great deal of pressure, both internally and externally. It takes real courage to walk forward. And I love how this section ends in chapter 4. They all get across the river. And Joshua sends one person from every tribe, these 12 tribes, to go back into the river and get a stone and then come back and set up a little monument. It's called an Ebenezer. It's, a little, it's called the Stone of Help. And what he was saying is that future generations are going to walk by this place and say, hey, why are these 12 stones gathered here? There, there's a purpose. They didn't just wash up this way. And he says you're going to be able to tell future generations how God has founded this nation. And this Ebenezer, you remember it from the, the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, that uh, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. I'm, I'm raising this stone of help, and I'm saying the only reason I've come this far is because of God. And so this Founder's Day sermon is kind of like an Ebenezer. We, we circle back around to it once a year to remind ourselves that the reason we've gotten this far is because of the Lord. And if we lose Him, we, we've lost everything. We might be able to help in some generic way, but if we lose the Lord, we're lost. And so we don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I know you don't want to do that. So we circle back around and we... We stare at this Ebenezer stone, this Founder's Day, and say, yes, we we need to have godly leadership. We've got to have God's Word, and we must have courage to change, to move forward, to do what God wants us to do. Let's pray together. Lord, I think of these words from Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Why? For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. We trust you are with us. We want to be with you. We don't want to wander away. So we come back to this very unique Founders Day in 2020 when we're going to have a a drive-through barbecue and we're having this by a video instead of being in person that this Founders Day, you would remind us of what's, what's important. You would cause us to, to 
measure our own souls against the plumb line of your word. You would give us courage to walk in your ways. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.